This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Radio Marinara is brought to you by Deakin University's School of Life and Environmental Sciences. Triple R sponsors. The real story of the ocean depths begins where you left off. Wonders that defy my powers of description. The secrets that are mine alone. Two minutes past nine. You're tuned to 102.73 Triple R. It's time for this week's edition of Radio Marinara. We are the program about all things wet and salty. My name's Bron Burton. My name's Dr Beach. How are you, Dr Beach? I'm very well. And you? Ah, oh, very well, thank you. Our second last program for our this pen, year. Our, our penul- penultimate program. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> 45, show number 45 for this year. Okay. We do 46 shows every year. Pretty much. We do. Give or take one, but it's usually around 46, so yeah. it's been a long year. It is. Yeah. I'm having this weird phenomenon. I feel like I should have a seatbelt on. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's, I've, I've never had this, but I'm like, sitting in a chair, normal chair, I'm not in a car. Well, you've got the dicky chair, that's why. Maybe that's it. I'm feeling a little bit of movement. And, and the fact that you convinced me to have a second coffee this morning has got me... Um, Actually, that's probably more likely what <laughs> yeah. it is. Yeah. <laughs> We, we got friends who got shooks. Among them is called Second Coffee because it um, runs around a little bit too much. That's a great name <laughs> for a chook. <laughs> hey, thanks, Tim, very much for Vital Bits. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you, as always. And you can catch Tim next Saturday morning at 6am. 
for six hours of radio every six hours weekend, of radio. Yep, yep. keeping us all going. And t- Tim is going to have a break, I hope, over summer, isn't he? I don't know. Run. Sometimes he runs through, sometimes he doesn't. I don't know. He's not we're we're going to have a little bit of break, but not quite yet. You have a whole show from us today and then next week as well. That's right. So next week we'll just be wrapping up really what's, um, what's coming up over summer because as it frequently gets pointed out to us, we have our break at the time that people are probably connecting with the marine environment yep. the most. Um, but uh, we're going to cover a whole bunch of things in terms of what's coming up. But we're going to kick that off today with uh, Neil Blake, our very own baykeeper. He's joining us shortly um, for the last time this year, talk about what he's doing with a few things coming up over the summer, the Summer by the Sea holiday program. Uh, also, there's um, we, we'll talk about this in more detail next week, but the um, there's a huge seaside scavenge event planned in Rye in January, I believe, um, and... Uh, also, some reports of By the Wind Sailors in Port Phillip. Have you heard of By the Wind Sailors, Dr Beach? I have, By the Wind Sailors. Little hmm. um, little Salentrets, little Nidarians. That means nothing, I guess. But uh, little, little blue guys that Does are on top of, the, top of the surface of the water. And, um, yeah, well, closely related to jellyfish, corals, all that, yeah. that crew. Blue bottles. Blue bottles. Yeah. yeah, but they're not blue bottles. No. They're slightly different. They're called By the Wind Sailors. And they have these beautiful... We're going to let Neil tell us yeah. all about that rather than um, stealing Neil's <laughs> wind... No, you just carry right on there. You've done a wonderful job. Morning, Neil. Morning, <laughs> Neil, Neil, Neil snuck well, in. All I know is you don't sprinkle them on your cornflakes. <laughs> right. <laughs> they do look appealing when they're dried. <laughs> Excellent. A bit tangy. Bit tangy. Bit, yeah. Bit zingy. yeah, yeah. No, don't eat them. No. Don't. Probably don't. not a good idea. Yeah. Um, yeah. Dr. Surf, uh, we're going to catch up with him for a quick surf report. He's going to be in studio next week. Dr. Beach, you've got uh, a whole bunch of marine science to talk to us about that you didn't quite get to last week? Well, yeah, a little bit. I mean, uh, well, not a huge amount, but uh, there's a fancy pants research vessel that's um, in the dockyard, well, in the, in the shipyards as we speak. It's going to be launched in 2021. I can talk about that right now or I can talk about it at the end if we get time. And I'm also going to talk about um, big extinction event which happened in the um, Permian-Triassic boundary, which was about 251 million years ago. Has, oh, I find this quite annoying. Like, I you know, find a paper I'm going to talk about on Sunday and um, then open up the age on Saturday and there it is. So you might have read about it in the age yesterday, but I had it prepped first. I just want you all to know I didn't get it from the age. <laughs> you can give that perspective of, um, of a well-experienced scientist. I'll give the deeper perspective. Yeah, you can give the real, well, not the real perspective, but the less generalist, the more specialised. Yeah, maybe. Something like that. Maybe. maybe. Um, and in between, amongst all of that as well, a few weeks ago, um, I had the great pleasure of speaking with Philippe Cousteau Jr. Now, he is called Jr. because his dad, Philippe Cousteau Sr., was the son of Jacques Cousteau, who I'm sure everybody will know. I, well, indeed, I, yeah, one of my heroes. I mean, yeah. I think that's why I went into studying the sea. Mm. Indeed, and I, I reckon that's probably the case for pretty much, well, me and many other people listening as well. Jacques Cousteau and National Geographic, I put it down to, and Living by the Beach. Mm. So Philippe Cousteau has carried on the Cousteau family legacy um, by creating a company or an organisation, not so much a company, an organisation with his sister called Earth Echo International. And they were in Melbourne a um, couple of months ago now. We didn't get to catch up with them while they were here, but uh, we had a chat on the phone. And so today I'll be... We'll be um, broadcasting that interview, that chat. Your work comes up, Neil. We've intru- we've introduced you now. We might as well have <laughs> you part of this conversation. Well, I'm actually here, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a hologram. Yeah. So anyway, that's we'll be um, we'll be putting that to air today as well. Um, 
amazing man, amazing family, yeah, incredible legacy and, and great work that they're doing. Yeah. Uh, let's uh, have a look at today's weather forecast, I reckon, Dr Beach. Well, considerably cooler than yesterday and indeed way cooler than the day before um, and you'll all be pleased to know that it's going to be 22 degrees today as opposed to the 30 or 35 or whatever we had the day before. Um, sprinkle of rain this morning and this afternoon. Chance, well, chance for thunderstorm, they're telling me. Uh, winds south 15 to 20 kilometres per hour becoming light in the evening. Tomorrow, 21 degrees, becoming sunny, maybe a tiny sprinkle of rain, less than one millimetre. Tuesday, warming up slightly to 27. Wednesday, 31. And then descending again, as does beautiful Melbourne, by nine degrees on Thursday. Don't you love it? Mm. Um, I love these fluctuations. Um, and it's going to be, yeah, maybe one to five mils of rain on Thursday, which is going to be fun. Um, Friday, chance of rain, 20, well, chance of rain, 90%. 26 degrees and it's telling me 20 to 40 millimetres of rain <gasps> on Friday. Wow. In the I don't know. I want to check that later on. It sounds monsoonal. Good. And Saturday, 27 degrees. But if indeed we get 20 millimetres of rain, that'd be fantastic on Friday. Um, so, yeah, fluctuating, but no, no heat waves ahead. Um, tides, if you are heading out on the water, you'll be interested to know what's happening with the tides. And I'll give you the tides of Point Lonsdale, which represents our fair heads. And it is it was a low tide just before 8am this morning and it's going to be high tide just bang on 2pm this afternoon of 1.38 metres. I won't talk about the surf because we're going to have our surf reporter on later on. We are. A couple of quick plugs and then I reckon let's listen to some music. Uh, we're going to... Yeah, we had a, um, one of our listeners contact us via our Facebook page. Dallas, thanks so much for getting in touch with us. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, we were promoting the screening of a new movie that's come out um, called Rubber Jellyfish, and it's uh, about balloons and the problems of balloons once they enter the marine environment. Uh, so there was a screening during the week. He saw it, and um, Dallas is now setting up his own facebook group to report balloon usage and releases uh so thought we'd give it a bit of a plug because good on you dallas he's um just wanting to get in there and get active and i'm sure it's something that um, you might be interested in as well neil so thanks for um, being in touch with us and uh, we will put a link to that on our facebook page you could go into um into facebook and do a search for rubber jellyfish and i reckon you could probably find it but we'll do that anyway yeah yeah because as we know balloons are well not good, but they're floating around and, you know, one animal's eat them. Yep, that's right. And the plastic bits on the bottom. Now, I reckon, what, what should we do, Dr Beach? Should we move on? Let's move on. Excellent. Oh, hang on. The one, where's one little bit of news? The yep. inaugural um, Radio Marinara crossword. Yeah. In the trip. Some may have seen it. We had fun assembling that, didn't we? And we, I, I do want to acknowledge um, a large amount of help from our Venice correspondent. Yes. Thank you. To Tonya. Thanks, Tonya, very much. And uh, the, the <laughs> at the back of the trip, um, the trip, which is where you'll find the crossword, uh, I'm um, credited and I want to declare up front that I had very little to do with it, probably nothing actually, <laughs> other than saying, yeah, good idea, go for it, Dr B. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was fun, a lot more challenging than I thought, actually. So thanks, Tonya, because uh, you did all the work on this. And all as right. we said, it's a little bit quick, a little bit cryptic and not all marine. Yeah, but lots of fun. Heaps of fun. My dad did it. He reckoned it was great. He's a huge crossword buff. Okay. Yeah. And you'll all note the rotational symmetry in there. <laughs> Hi, this is Tim Whitten. If you want to know what's going on in the ocean, tune in to Radio Marinara on 102.7 3RRR. And you know where it is. We do know where it is. Coming up to 17 minutes past nine and you are listening to Radio Marinara, as he rightly just said. <laughs> Good morning, Neil Blake. Good morning. How are you? Good. Oh, I love that, that track that was just on then. 
Good on you, Therese. We, we're glad that we finally played it. Mm. We've worked out, it's, I think it's been sitting in my bag for a good couple of months. So good to finally put it to air. So welcome for your uh, your final segment with us this year. You you are coming back next year, aren't you? I do hope so, yeah. Well, well you're putting on the spot there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't have much of a choice. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, great to have you back in. I think we called you segment baykeeping. We kind of landed on that eventually. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I talked up at the start of the program, but we're going to talk about Summer by the Sea and what's what's coming up for the holiday program. Before we get into that, is there anything you want to kind of talk about what you've been up to since you were in last time? Oh, well, yeah, there's been a lot of really good stuff. We've had um, another team of interns from uh, Massachusetts who are working on a, a litter visualisation tool, an online tool, so that our street litter and beach litter audit data and also school ground audits can actually be uh, displayed online so people can get a sense of where uh, trash is coming from that that actually gets into the bay. I think uh, we need to communicate that widely because people still uh, are oblivious to the fact that what you drop on the street might end up in the bay. Uh, so what will the students be doing when they head back? So they've been developing some methods with you, will they take them back and develop them further? Uh, well, no, no, this is just part of their coursework. I mean, they're, they're studying a range of things, engineering and various other sort of systems type of uh, subjects. And uh, they've been fantastic to have their expertise, particularly in the IT sort of field, to, to put this tool together. And, uh, yeah, they do a lot of really great work for us. Great. Now, Summer by the Sea is coming up. Yes. Do you want to? We we often have someone on to talk to the entire program. We haven't organised that this year, but mm. you you've got quite a lot of stuff going on with Summer by the Sea. Uh, yeah. Well, actually, uh, um, I've been around since Summer by the Sea was born. I think it was twenty four <laughs> years ago. You know. So. Uh, Is it that long? Uh, yeah. That's wow. Sort of, or the Coast Care sort of um, program in one of its iterations was sort of alive, and th- those kind of um, coast activities were. Uh, created in in that day and it's great to see that it has continued to this time so we've got 2,000 kilometres of coast across Victoria and lots of good people got a lot of local knowledge to share so it's an ideal opportunity for the wider community to actually touch base and and pick up on that knowledge. So for our listeners who are wondering what Summer by the Sea is all about uh, other than what you've just mentioned can you give us a quick snapshot overview yeah, well, it ranges uh, quite widely. I mean, uh, one, one of the activities that um, seems to have caught on is digging for dinosaurs. So, you know, there's people who do fossil walks and talks. And uh, But I've been doing shoreline shell surveys since around about 2008 at various beaches around the bay. Uh, so um, promoting citizen science. But, uh, that's, uh, yeah, there's, um, they have a dog's breakfast too. So uh, it's, it's, uh, everyone loves their dogs, you know, and that's a great way to get um, people connected to the beach um, so they can understand how their pooch might sort of fit into it a little better. Because dogs just love to chase birds. Have you noticed that? They do. (laughs) Who can blame them? Because the birds make a big fuss and they flutter off, you know, so the dogs are really happy. And, uh, you know, so unfortunately, though, uh, that means that uh, the birds don't get to finish their breakfast and they're not very happy. No. Neither, but, neither are their chicks. Well, that's right, yeah, they, they can disturb them from the nest. Yeah, that's right. So uh, there needs to be uh, good dog-friendly ways to communicate and get people in tune with that sort of stuff so that they can manage their pooches a little more Great. better. So um, what will you be doing for Summer by the Sea this year? Well, I've got a couple of um, events that uh, I'm going to be... Uh, Uh, collaborating with the EPA. They've got two uh, events that are happening on the um, 
8th of January and the 16th. So the one on the 8th is at uh, St Kilda Life Saving Club at 10am and they're going to be rolling out some of their citizen science programs and uh, providing me with an opportunity to uh, talk about what we're doing around the bay and uh, also particularly on microplastics. And the other one is at uh, Williamstown Life Saving Club so at 10am. So that, that's going to be really good to um, uh, you know, actually get get to work with the scientists from the EPA and uh, see how they're uh, communicating with the, with the wider community. Uh, otherwise, I'll be down at... Uh, well, actually, no, I won't. My uh, second cousin, Captain Trash, <laughs> will be down there at the Rye uh, uh, Seaside Scavenge too, and that's going to be on the 13th of January. Great event. Uh, it's, there'll be, obviously, a beach clean-up, Tungaroa Blue uh, beach clean-up, and uh, there's going to be local bands... Fantastic musos down that way. There are a lot of good musos down on the Mornington yep. Peninsula. So um, this is this is so it's not just a, a not I shouldn't say not just but it is more than a beach cleanup. It's actually almost a mini festival that's happening down it there. It is, yeah. It really puts in a, in a real lifestyle kind of uh, context, I think, and that's really where we need to get to, where people see that uh, doing the right thing by the planet is uh, just the sort of thing you do that's kind of normal. So Captain Trash is going to be down there. Uh, yes, he'll. Yeah. He, he, uh, I'm told he'll be there, so okay. I, I'm assuming that'd be right. Maybe his people can speak yeah. to your people, and well, he's going to need to arrange transport. <laughs> Does Captain Trash have a summer outfit? Uh, so, so in, in the in the event that it's maybe say 30, 35 degrees, or will he just be in his stock standard? Yeah, that's a bit tough. I think he uh, he might need to adapt because uh, it, it, it does have a black sort of a jacket, which can be very hot. Yeah. <laughs> Mm. Maybe he can think about that. Now, I heard um, we were having a chat in the green room before the show and you told me some very interesting news about Captain Trash, which uh, Dr Beach is not aware of at this yeah. date. I'm all, I'm all ears. All ears. Uh, yeah, so apparently uh, actually a good friend of mine, Brenda Walsh, is an amazing artist. Uh, you should Google Brenda Walsh and check out her, her work. It's uh, really fantastic stuff and makes really strong statements about environmental uh, impacts and the way the humans fit into it. Um, she's actually working on a portrait of Captain Trash, uh, which uh, she's planning to enter into the Archibald Prize this <laughs> next year. So uh, that's going to be uh, really interesting to see how that goes. I mean, I, I'm sure it'll be an excellent portrait. Whether it actually gets up and is, is a winner, well, I'm not sure. But uh, we'll, well, time will tell. And, and, of course, this is radio, so people can't see um, the visage of our baykeeper, Neil, and, you know, who does bear a close resemblance to his second well, cousin, Captain Trash. So I can imagine, you know, you two, that, that family, that general family being a great subject for the well, Archibald. I'm not one for sour grapes. But <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're feeling a little bit I have to say, here. yeah, how come she didn't choose to paint me? I know. <laughs> Given that you do most of the work, Neil. Yeah. You're his mouthpiece. Anyway. I, I wish them well, and you know, I hope it's all all good for Captain Trash, and particularly for Brenda. Uh, any idea on the timing of this particular portrait of Captain Trash? Well, I understand it's underway. Right. Uh, at uh, and I think the Archibald sort of entries are due in April or something. Okay. Pretty so soon. So we'll stay tuned for next year. Yeah. And catch up with that. Yeah. Brilliant. Now uh, we've got a few minutes um, to keep to uh, chat to you about these by the wind sailors we kind of started talking about that at the start of the program yeah. by, by the wind sailors give us a quick description what is a by the wind sailor well they're a small uh, like a little jellyfish really probably uh, no bigger than perhaps your little finger from the 
tip of your finger to the first knuckle and uh, they float on the surface and they have this elevated little sail that actually protrudes above the water level which uh, is configured so that it uh, carries them um, in a particular direction with the wind. So they're a little bit like blue bottles? Well they're very similar colour, uh, yep. yeah, they, but they only have very sh tiny tentacles and apparently they, they capture fish that are very close to the surface. So I'm not sure how they manage that, they'd have to be quite small fish. Huh. But, uh, but apparently that's what they, they live on. Yep. Um, Valella Valella. That's the one. Is, is their Latin name? As in, yeah, V-E-L-E-L-L-A. Beautiful little objects, little guys. And they're colonies, aren't they? So it's not just one individual animal, but like many... Yeah, I've seen photographs of them where they've been washed up on the beach somewhere in Oregon or somewhere. There's literally millions of them that have been stranded. So, yeah, they float in in large colonies. But what has prompted this discussion is that I've only ever encountered them a, a couple uh, in my travels around the bay over the years. But uh, just in the recent weeks, though, there were heaps reported uh, turning up at Point Lonsdale. And then uh, shortly after, quite a lot, uh, hundreds actually uh, washed up on at Port Melbourne. Mm. So uh, it's the first time we've ever seen them up the top end of the bay and particularly in these great numbers. So they, they, they're an animal that um, generally ranges around the globe, but particularly in the warmer waters, and which uh, probably highlights really that uh, uh, their increased presence may be just due to ocean uh, sea surface temperatures warmer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, should people avoid them if they come across them? <laughs> Is it kind of like a blue bottle if you see a couple washed up on the beach, generally just to be a little careful because blue bottles do sting and they have really long tentacles as well? Yeah, well, I'd be inclined to um, uh, encourage people. I've, I've had uh, somebody sent me a photo of one sitting on her finger and I haven't heard reports that she... <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> that, that, they, they do have stinging cells like, like blue bottles and yeah. lots of other things in that group. Um, well, you yeah, know, box jellyfish and all those other things, the, the relatives, but they not too harmful for humans. I certainly wouldn't stick one in your mouth. No, no. Um, and um, better to on, be on your yeah, better to be cautious. If you get one on your finger, don't freak out. And don't let your dogs eat them either. Don't let the dogs eat them. No. Yeah. And they do. Once they've been washed up on the beach for a while, you'll be able to. They kind of dry out, and they lose that intense iridescent blue colour. And you can, you can see that like the the sail they have this beautiful little sail. Yeah, the beautiful animal. At a little bit of an angle. Mm. And they, yeah, they eat plankton and all sorts of stuff sitting yeah. on the surface and yeah. travel around. One of my favourite marine objects. Yeah. Well, not object, it's, it's, it's an organism. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful animal, <laughs> a colony of animals. So we'll watch out for the by-the-wind sailors. Yeah, they could turn up. In the uh, months coming up. Particularly yeah, in the summer period. Yeah, and you'll recognise them from you know, having seen them on coast, uh, you know, open ocean beaches like mm. West Coast and East Coast. So, Neil, any last words before we let you go for 2018 and look forward to catching up with you early in 2019. Well I'd just like to thank you Bron and Dr Beach for being such wonderful presenters and the, and the team here it's, it's really great you know that, that there's such a show on air. Well it's just wonderful to have you part of our program and we always look forward to you coming in and all the very best thank you for everything that you've done with us this year and um, we're already looking forward to another great year in 2019 mm. and I know our listeners love hearing you on the program we always get really? good feedback oh yeah yeah <laughs> and, and your second cousin when he comes in uh, I'll <laughs> we'll, tell him that we'll yes. lure him in next time <laughs> thanks Neil we've been speaking with Neil Blake our very own baykeeper hi this is Wayne Lynch and you're listening to Radio Marinara on 3RRR 
Thank you, Wayne Lynch, and uh, perfect. Thank you, Nerida. Uh, in our lead in to our surf report this week with Dr. Surf. Good morning, Dr. Surf. Morning, Brian. Morning, Beach. Well, morning, Surf. I'm on my third coffee, Dr. Beach, so watch out. <laughs> my goodness. <laughs> Anything could happen. I, I could feel the sparks flying down the, down the line. <laughs> I need the energy. We've got a new puppy, and he's running around like you wouldn't believe. But anyway, <laughs> it's all good. Good. What's the surf been like this week? Oh, really good this week, actually. Monday was epic. It was big and offshore. It was like winter all over again, and... Tuesday was good, and I even got good waves on Thursday on the beaches. So, a good week. Unfortunately, it's not that good today. I think you'd have to be pretty desperate. There's uh, two, three-foot waves down on Torquay Coast, but the devil winds are in the southeasterlies, and it's quite choppy and messy. But, look, the weather's quite nice. Water's warming up. The devil no, winds? you shouldn't complain. Yeah, the, the devil winds, is that, is that a, um, a, a surf term? It's a meteorological term. Have another coffee. See that coffee? The coffee's working beautifully. <laughs> now no, you... it's, just, it's the wind where there's only really one place in the whole state that has any waves, and it's got to be big for that place to work. So it's a bad wind. It just mucks everything up, spoils all the fun. So maybe uh, maybe do something else today. And you're going to you're going to be in with us next week, aren't you, Doctor Surf? I am. I'm going to have a special guest. We're going to have Sasha from the Seaside Scavenge. It's going to be on and down at Rye Front Beach on the 13th of January, which is the day after the Disabled Surfers Association event at Point Leo. So that'll be a busy weekend. Great. So we'll, be, we'll be talking about that and what's coming up over summer and how to puppy train Labradors. <laughs> That's good. We'll get you to speak to both those events. We've just had Neil in, and he's been talking up the Seaside Scavenge as well. I think it's going to be it's going to be the event of the summer, really. I've seen a lot oh, of promotion so. on social media with it as well. So a lot of work's gone into it. There's all sorts of things happening. So it'll be great to have Sasha in and talk about it. Now, um, just before we let you go, um, big shout-out to Helen from Mornington um, who gave me a copy of the Mornington News, this week's edition, um, featuring uh, a couple of sharks and a banana. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I haven't seen it yet, to be honest. We don't get that one delivered, but I'll I'll go and look for it today. That was the the DSAMP Champs fun surf event that we had that was just a riot, basically. Great. We all... Sorry, we raised some some money for the disabled surfers and everybody had a fantastic time, so it was really good. You're quoted all the way through it, um, Dr. Surf. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Should I read this or should I just avoid it? (laughs) Oh, no, you can read it. Um, I'll I'll keep it for you for next week. So, no, there's nothing... uh, What's the quote in here? It says, the offbeat competition attracted 15 teams. It's it's, it's a fairly factual um, coverage... It starts off by saying, Enthusiasm, if not waves, won the day when teams of surfers descended on Pines Beach Shoreham for the second annual DSAMP Champs contest. So, but yeah. Yeah, there were no waves, but we had a lot of fun. Yeah, excellent. All right, well. Especially we'll... the banana, he had a lot of fun. <laughs> he, he's, he's, he, in the photo, he looks like he's having a lot of fun. He'll be listening in. It's <laughs> flanked by a couple of sharks, so it's a, it's a great article. All right, Dr. Surf, we'll let you go, but okay. look forward to having you in studio next week and go and have a fourth coffee and play with that puppy. No, no more coffee. <laughs> but I'll look forward to next week. It'll be fun. We, look to, we do look forward to seeing you, Surf. Excellent. Okay. All right. See you guys. Catch you then. Bye. 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 Dr. Surf there.
It, it, that's not him in the banana suit, is it? No, I actually wondered whether it might be, but no, it's definitely not him there. All right, 9.34, and uh, you are listening to Radio Marinara here on 3RRR. And if you missed the start of the program, we mentioned that what we're going to be playing today is an interview that I did with um, Philippe Cousteau Jr., um, grandson of Jacques Cousteau, and uh, son of Jacques Cousteau's son, Philippe Cousteau Sr., if you can follow all of that. He was in Melbourne uh, a month or so ago, Um, working with some great people, uh, teachers and scientists, marine scientists for the the company that he founded with his sister, Earth Echo International. And so what we're going to do now is play track and then straight from the track we'll go straight into that interview. So um, get yourselves a uh, maybe a cup of tea and settle yourselves in for this um, while we play this track. Uh, I actually heard this during the week, Nicole Tadpole Pole played um, some Kurt Vile um, on her wonderful program, Respect the Rock, every Tuesday from 2 till 4, a little plug there, and I uh, hope you enjoy this. This is actually a nine-minute track. We're not going to play the entire track in its full nine minutes, but we'll play about three minutes of it. hope you enjoy this. It's called Bass Ackwards. <laughs> We're at a time when science, technology, engineering and mathematics or STEM education has never been more critical, particularly in how the benefits of STEM-based research help us to address the problems faced by our marine environments now and into the future. Earth Echo International was established by the Cousteau family 18 years ago and focuses on recognising the importance of STEM education whilst carrying on the legacy founded by Jacques-Yves and Philippe Cousteau Sr of exploration and discovery in the marine environment. The Cousteau family baton has now passed to Philippe Cousteau Jr, who along with his sister Alexandra founded Earth Echo Expeditions, a global partnership program that harnesses the combined skill sets of teachers and scientists to specifically focus on creating solutions to the problems caused by human impacts on our seas and oceans. Philippe Cousteau Jr recently brought this wonderful program to Melbourne. It's with great pleasure now that we speak with Philippe about Earth Echo Expeditions, the future of the marine environment and his recent time in Melbourne. Melbourne. Philippe Cousteau, good morning. Welcome to Triple R and to Radio Marinara. Oh, thank you for having me. Delighted. It's wonderful to have you on our program. Uh, congratulations on this wonderful and innovative program. I thought maybe I might start by asking you to take us back to its beginnings. How did Earth Echo Expeditions come to be? Where did it all begin? Well, Earth Echo Expeditions is one of our most exciting programs, and Earth Echo is an organization that was founded about 15 years ago, very much inspired by, as, uh, as you pointed out just a minute ago, uh, inspired by my uh, father and grandfather. Now, of course, many people may recognize my grandfather, Jacques Cousteau, as the inventor or uh, co-inventor of the aqualung or scuba diving and a, uh, a legendary environmental advocate uh, for the oceans in particular for the 20th century. Um, and his documentary series, The Undersea World of Jacques Cousteau, his famous films, The Silent World, World Without Sun, etc. But he was my grandfather, and I grew up hugely influenced by him sitting around the kitchen table and learning about his stories and his adventures and, um, and the incredible work that my father did as well with my grandfather. Unfortunately, my father, Philippe Sr., passed away in 1979, uh, just six months before I was born. But nevertheless, I grew up with his stories and books and films, and and um, we wanted to start an organization that would do honor to that legacy and also really think about how we provide a youth strategy going forward to build sustainability because we believe that uh, absolutely critical to building a sustainable future is empowering young people today to engage and, uh, and be problem solvers. 
Yeah, and one huge change for the seas and the oceans since your father and your, and particularly grandfather's time, is the rise and rise of plastics in the oceans. And this is obviously a really big focus with your work. Uh, what do you think that we need to do to equip this next generation coming through with what they need to do to manage uh, ocean plastics as a current and also a growing crisis? Yeah, I mean, crisis is a great word, you know, Bronnie. It really is a crisis. And I think people are starting to understand that. It's beginning to be covered in the press, and people are really catching on to the, the, the scale of this crisis as well. It's not just a kind of a, a, a problem that has come out of nowhere. It's been growing for decades, and, you know, people are starting to hear about these quote-unquote plastic islands and, you know, these huge swirling masses of plastic in the, in the central and northern Pacific. But, in fact, those exist in every ocean, and there are tens of thousands on average, tens of thousands, maybe up to 40 or 50,000 pieces of plastic floating in every square kilometer of ocean. That's staggering. One of the things that I learned while we were in Melbourne was that in Port Phillip Bay alone, annually, it's estimated 800 million pieces of plastic enter Port Phillip Bay every year. So this is a staggering problem that uh, people are really starting to wake up to. And there's a lot of consequences for this problem, right? Not only is it unsightly, like we go down the beaches or we're, you know, in the ocean or, you, you know, nowadays you can go swimming and you see plastic floating by. It's, it's a huge issue because of its impact on wildlife. And increasingly, people are recognizing there's a very real impact on humans and our health, be it uh, both impact directly of, of uh, polluting water and, you know, those types of resources, but increasingly, the microplastics, because, of course, plastic doesn't break down in nature. Uh, it was called photodegrades. In other words, under sunlight, it will break down into smaller and smaller pieces, but it doesn't biodegrade. It doesn't go back to its fundamental elements. And so, essentially, with these smaller pieces of microplastics, you have a situation where fish and organisms, particularly in the ocean, mistake that plastic for food. It can be very similar to micro, you know, small plankton and, and um, phyto and as well as zooplankton. And so they eat those microplastics. Now, the thing about microplastic in the ocean is that it absorbs a lot of chemicals, all sorts of bad stuff that we don't want in us, uh, PCBs, dioxins, things like that. So when the fish eat these microplastics, over time it bioaccumulates. They start to eat more and more of this plastic. Then a bigger fish eats several smaller fish. Then a still bigger fish eats several of those fish. And up the food chain, it begins to accumulate all these plastics and toxins. And what we're finding is that as people eat seafood, increasingly there's this plastic and toxins in the seafood that they're eating, and now it's being transferred into human beings. So there's multiple layers of health issues with this crisis, and of course the issues to the health of natural ecosystems, the oceans, etc. So we are launching this year our Plastic Seas Initiative, and that's what we were in Melbourne. We were in Melbourne exploring this issue in and around Port Phillip Bay, and it's uh, it's one like around the world that, uh, that the communities there are, are beginning to get their head around and, and trying to tackle. And so this was the launch of your global program right here in Melbourne, is that right? That is right, yes. Earth Echo Expeditions Plastic Seas this year, um, which is a program targeted towards middle and high school students uh, and really around the world, but the, the, the basis and the launch of the program was in Melbourne. We had 25 amazing teachers from around Australia, and particularly in the Melbourne area, but um, several of the teachers were from throughout Australia, that came together to spend a week to explore this issue. And we had our film crew with us. We filmed uh, a lot of the education materials that we create are all broadcast quality. We do like little mini docs, or docos as you call them, in Australia, and, um, and then we had the teachers work with us to really drive forward this story and exploring this issue uh, in the context of educational materials that can then be used in the classroom 
uh, and then the teachers work with us to develop those materials after the fact, and then it goes around the world. And we were we were working with scientists, exploring, you know, learning about rare species of dolphins. We were learning, we were visiting, spent a little bit of time uh, with those little uh, uh, penguins. We were snorkeling and free diving out in Port Phillip Bay. It was really an amazing, uh, it was a really amazing week. Yeah, you had some fantastic STEM partners to work with while you were here. Um, I've got a list of a few of them here. Port Phillip Bay Eco Centre, Sustainability Victoria, Tangaroa Blue, Plastic Pollution Solutions, the Boomerang Alliance, University yeah. of Tasmania. These groups are all very well known to our listeners of this program. I think every single one of them has been on our show at some point over the last 20 years that we've been broadcasting. How did they all work together as a group? I don't think we've, I've ever seen them in the one place at the one time. How did they all work together? <laughs> um, and particularly with those teachers. Yeah, we were so fortunate to have such a, an amazing group of folks uh, working with us from all around the area and supporting us with, with our efforts to engage in, in understanding these solutions. And, you know, essentially what we were doing is, is really investigating the causes and potential solutions to these types of problems, particularly the plastic problem, of course. And these partners were wonderful. I mean, I, I'm, I'm surprised that many of them uh, hadn't worked together before. I, I like to think, I know some of them have, but I, I like to think that maybe we helped to provide and, and, and connect some folks. But everybody is so committed. And, uh, you know, I've spent a lot of time in Australia over the years, though I've never been to the Melbourne area. I filmed docos up along the uh, Port Douglas and, and did a documentary with Steve Irwin many years ago. I've done some BBC shows in Tasmania and various different places, but never been down to Melbourne. And I was just blown away by the hospitality, the kindness of everybody. All the organizations we worked with were so terrific. And um, it's just going to be a wonderful program. Yeah, and uh, as we've come across them over the years, we've certainly found that. Um, the figure that you quoted before, that 800 million pieces of plastic that come through into Port Phillip Bay, uh, that's a, a figure that we're familiar with, particularly through the work of Neil Blake, who's our baykeeper. I don't know if you had yeah. the, uh, the the pleasure yeah. of meeting him while oh, you were yeah. here. Yeah. We did. Neil's awesome. <laughs> we think so too. And he's working really hard. And one of the messages that he's trying to convey is obviously there's, there's a huge issue of plastic in the oceans. And, and Neil's sort of take on this is that we see it as marine pollution. The problem is that it's not marine. Well, it ends up in the oceans, but it's not coming from the oceans. It's coming from the land. And, um, and until we kind of have that mind shift of actually tackling it from the land and not sort of from the cleanup end, that that's where we really need to focus on this. You're absolutely right, Bron. You know, one of the issues, you know, a lot of people talk about plastic from the perspective of cleanups. And while that is absolutely important, you know, we need to, there's a couple of problems that we need to do. We need to both clean up the plastic that exists uh, as much as we can, though some of it, particularly the microplastics, are likely out of our reach at this point with the types of technology that we have. So there are some interesting efforts afoot to try and get some devices out to, to at least collect some of the plastic. But we also need to eliminate our use of single-use plastics, the straws, the bags, you know, the bottles, things like that, that are just nonsense. I mean, it's completely ridiculous uh, when you think about using an, I think the average time that you end up using a plastic bag, actually have it in your hands and using it is around three minutes. And then to think that that plastic bag will continue for millennia to choke waterways, kill animals, pollute our seafood, etc., is just such insanity. But then we also, as Neil says, we also need to prevent the plastic from getting into nature in the first place. And that's really, really important. So yeah, we, we Neil's going to be featured in the program. We spent some time filming with him. We went, took the teachers down to one of the beaches and did some of the tests and gritting out and, and the real scientific rigor that he's applying, brilliantly applying to this challenge to try and provide the data 
to decision makers and legislators to show what's going on, where this plastic is coming in, how much plastic is actually there in a, you know, in a scientifically sound way. It, it was great. And those are the kinds of real hands-on programs that we are going to feature in our program, that uh, in our educational program, that is the kinds of things we want young people to be engaged in. And we have a belief at Earth Echo that young people aren't just the, the hands and feet. In other words, they're not just good as volunteers, et cetera, in, in these kinds of programs. They're the hearts and minds. They can really get involved and take leadership roles in these kinds of initiatives and programs and, uh, and run with them. And, and that's really what the, uh, Neil's program, we believe, represents is the opportunity for kids to engage, take leadership on, on these kinds of initiatives, get out into the field and, and find solutions. Estamos escuchando Radio Marinada en tres triple R. I noticed also you were focusing on those middle school years, so years six to eight, which is exactly the age bracket that my kids are in at the moment, that late primary, early secondary, and really pivotal age where they've sort of come out of that early childhood, but they're just sort of before that age where they start focusing on their own careers. Do you see that as being a really important age group to target? It is an important age to to target because, you know, there's a lot of research data out there that shows that, that young people establish a lot of their interests by middle school. So, for example, if they think that STEM or science is irrelevant and uninteresting and kind of a, a, a bore in middle school, that's unlikely to change in high school. If they are uh, interested in those kinds or see the, the, the passion and the joy and the excitement that can come from solving problems, which is essentially what, what science is all about, then that really help, holds them well going through high school and, and, and influences their decisions going into college and careers beyond. You know, certainly in the United States, uh, and I believe it's the, it's the same issue in Australia and, and, and in Europe as well, there's a lack of focus on science and STEM. A lot of young people aren't interested and engaged in those kinds of programs, and that's a big part of what we're about, is really helping kids recognize that, uh, you know, science, uh, these STEM subjects, is really about solving problems, and that the, pursuing these kinds of subjects in the classroom is critical to being to solving the big global problems that we face. So the, it's, it's a very hands-on approach. Did you find that the teachers who were involved, so we mentioned earlier 25 Australian teachers, were they, were they all finding that that was their experience? Because I was just reading through the list of teachers that you had from all over Australia, as far as West as Mandurah in Western Australia, Bundaberg in Queensland, Huskisson in New South Wales around Jervis Bay. Um, you had a couple of mentors who came across from, um, from the US in Michigan and California. Did you find that yep. it was a common experience for those teachers? It was. I, you know, there were such an amazing group of, of folks. I, you know, my grandfather always told me that teaching is the most noble profession, and it really is. And uh, we're always so fortunate and feel so fortunate to, uh, to be able to have teachers that are willing to take of their time to spend with us, and we take that very seriously. We have a lot of teachers, you know, that, that we, we worked with over the years that continue to work with us. And that's really the idea of this program. You know, we, we say for, we develop our products for teachers, uh, by teachers, and we mean that. So, you know, these, these educators are, are critical. We also had workshops where they then worked together to start fleshing out what the educational materials would look like, what design challenges would look like. And a design challenge for us is something where, you know, a classroom will look at, wow, how can we engineer, say, a small uh, device or, or maybe a little uh, uh, ball that you could put into the dryer or the, or the washing machine to absorb microplastics to prevent them from going out in, in the water. So just different ideas about uh, design challenge that kids can engage in the classroom hands-on and actually create 
and engage in a, in a solution for this problem. So they're going to be working with us in subsequent weeks on developing those. And then over the, the course of the next year, when the program launches in, in January, they'll be our, our champions and cheerleaders to teachers throughout Australia, throughout the world, and all of our partners in classrooms everywhere. So it was a lot of fun to see them come together and really get hands-on. But, you know, we're believers in, uh, in action leads to awareness, not the other way around. So the program is rooted in this idea of getting people outdoors, getting them engaged, um, and, and getting hands-on. Yeah, Sylvia Earle has always said that as well, is that before you start caring, you have to be aware, uh, I'm paraphrasing her actual words, but she said, you know, you can't care about something before you actually know about it. And uh, and, and we absolutely Very agree. True. Yeah, that's right. So you've got these educational modules that are now being created through this work. And uh, is that what you're saying, that they'll be ready to launch in January? January is the launch. And we are uh, really, really uh, excited about that. Uh, it's just so amazing to see the teachers come together and really have pride and ownership of these programs. And what makes it so great is that by their, you know, through their engagement, we're able to create a product that really works for educators. We don't, we don't really create curriculum. We like to think of it as curriculum enhancement. And so we really work with the teachers to say, right, how does this fit into what you're already teaching? How does this fit into what you already have to do? Because we recognize that teachers have too much work and too little time. And so um, we really look at this as something that, that fits into existing curricula, fits into existing programs, and looks at those core education concepts through the lens of something like plastic in the oceans. All right, so how, what are the biological issues and chemical, and how do you create service learning projects and design challenges and things that really help advance the basic core education standards that every teacher is held to in the classroom? Fantastic. So if we have some teachers out there listening right now, and I'm sure there will be many, what is the best thing that they can do, Philippe, in terms of keeping an eye on where this is travelling and embedding some of these modules into their own curricula? There's a couple different things. They can go to earthecho.org. That is our website. The program will launch in January. We have past programs looking at water scarcity, dead zones, which is a huge issue around the world. Uh, that they can also look at there. There's also a couple of really exciting things. They can also apply. The applications aren't open yet, but uh, they will become available, I think, in the spring, summertime, probably the spring, to uh, apply to be teacher cohorts for next year um, and to participate in the program. So we will be you know, inviting more teachers to participate in our program going in the coming years. And then also, if there are some really exciting, amazing students, we have a program called the Youth Leadership Council that they can also uh, engage their students in. And that's every two years we open up the applications for about 15 really amazing young people. We have two members right now from the Melbourne area that are part of our program, and they have come up to the United States to participate in our workshops. We work with them on professional development, communications training, etc. Also at earthecho.org, our Youth Leadership Council, applications for our next class will open um, this so the beginning of our school year, I guess the latter half of your school year. So definitely look, star, star students, some really engaged young people, check out our Youth Leadership Council, and then teachers can participate through our program, Classic Seeds, that launches in January, or also apply to be uh, teacher fellows in the future. Fantastic. We will put a link to all of that on our own Facebook page, our Radio Marinara Facebook page, and on our Triple R website as well. Philippe, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you, and next time you're in Melbourne, we really hope to be able to get you in studio and catch up on all this wonderful work that you're doing. I appreciate it, Brian. It was my pleasure, and we'll definitely make a point to do that. Fantastic, and we'll take you to some local coffee haunts around the Brunswick area as well. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Excellent. All right, terrific. Excellent. Thanks so much. Thank you. Okay, bye for now. Bye-bye.
Hi, I'm David Suzuki, and you're listening to Radio Marinara on 3RRR 102.7 FM. Indeed you are, and uh, that actually brings us to the end of today's program. We've just been um, listening to uh, an interview that I did with Philippe Cousteau Jr. a couple of months, or well, about a month ago. But uh, amazing work. I mentioned we put those details up on the Radio Marinara Facebook page, uh, which I've already done, so you can go and check that one out for yourselves. And um, great, he's so connected with your work too, Neil. I told you he's a nice bloke. <laughs> <laughs> a very smart one too, just like your good self. Thanks for coming in today. It's been great having you here. It's been a great pleasure. And uh, thank you, Dr. Beach. Pleasure. We're going to get to Life's a Beach first up next week. Okie dokie. We will indeed. Half an hour. Half an hour. Whole show. (laughs) Thanks, Nerida. This has been a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.